from Workhouse Connect and A.J. Benza. Fame. Uh, he liked to be walked on a leash and play really dirty, kinky sex games. He's a... The guy put the cock in the Peacock Network, okay? Bitch. Hey, everybody. A.J. Benza here with Fame as a Bitch. This is your podcast for January 31st, 2020. We are about to enter February. I can't believe it. It's, uh, I never get on this show and act like the month is dragging. For some reason, it feels like every month has been speeding by. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I got a lot of shit I want to get through and get finished, but I just feel like it's flying by us. Um, the other night, well, last night, there was a New York Knicks game. And of course, they're, they're shit, and they're losing embarrassingly once again. And with under a minute to go, one of the guys on the Memphis Grizzlies steals an inbounds pass and ran to the three-point line to launch a jump shot. And that sort of thing is looked upon as a no-no because there was very little time left on the clock. And when you're beating a team and they can't catch up or tie and you know you won, it's become sort of an NBA custom not to shoot the ball, just to dribble out the clock or even just hold the ball. I hate this. It, it kills you if you're a gambler and you need one point to win $1,000 or something on a game and the guy on the team you're betting on has an open shot or a layup that'll make you cover the spread, but instead he just stands there and dribbles the last 18 seconds. It, the horn sounds and you lose. It's a terrible feeling. You end up thinking the sport is crooked. The referees are in on it. You know, it's just terrible. So this guy on Memphis, Jay Crowder, he's got a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of hair he puts in a ponytail. He's got the dreadlocks he pulls back. Big dude. You know, nothing nothing gay about him, gay looking about him, but check out what happens. So Jay Crowder steals an inbounds pass and runs to the three-point line and takes this shot from the three-point line in the corner. And a guy in the Knicks named Marcus Morris shoves him hard in the chest as he's in the air. And he falls back into the seats. Could have got hurt. <clears throat> and uh, a huge... Melee begins. A lot of people fighting, throwing hands. Coaches, referees are involved in there. Finally, some action at Madison Square Garden, which has been a fucking cemetery for years now. What a shame. When that place is rocking, there's very few places like that in sports in the country. So glad I was there to see Michael Jordan front row, floor seats. You know, that was Reggie Miller, Lonzo Mourning, some great, great NBA stars. But um, big fight starts, and it's a big to-do. Ejections, suspensions, fines. But later that night, the guy in the Nick, the guy in the Nick says about Jay Crowder, and you can see this was going to get shitty real quickly. He said, I-, I think the dude is just, you know, he plays the game a different way. A lot of female tendencies on the court, flopping, throwing his head back the entire game. It's a man's game, and you just... You get tired of it after the end of the day. You know, his game is soft. He's soft. That's how he carries himself. It's just very woman-like. Oh, boy. You know, that don't wash anymore. Even though, you know, there is a thing as playing with the style that is reminiscent of a woman, you just can't say that. You can't. The thought police will lock you up. Cancel culture will throw away the key. And that's it. You're done. Of course, that made a female player, some girl in the WNBA, say, 
What about you saying it's a man's game or women like uh, female tendencies, wins, tough games, though? You know, just she was pissed off. Her name is Liz Cambridge. Very talented. I think she dropped 50 points in a game once. So, look, Morris has to apologize. Of course he does. We know we've all got to do that right away. The sooner the better. Instantly. Even that Roman Catholic priest in Minnesota apologized for calling Islam the greatest threat in the world to the United States and Christianity. Did you hear about this guy? He's, uh, look, while he characterized Islam as the greatest threat worldwide to both America and Christianity, he also claimed that Americans do not need to pretend that all immigrants seeking to enter the country should be treated equally. He said, I believe it is essential to consider the religion and worldview of the immigrants or refugees. His name is Vandenbroek. That's what he told his parishioners, uh, according to CARE, that fucking group that goes after people who talk the truth about radical Islam. And more specifically, he said, we should not be allowing large numbers of Muslims asylum or immigration into our country. Fucking beautiful. I would have given this guy a standing ovation if I went to church, grabbed the collection plate. I would have laid my heart on it while it was still beating. But of course, the assholes at CARE, they came down on him. Also, the Minnesota chapter of the Council of American Islamic Relations gave him shit too. They said silence on this issue would send the troubling message that the church holds a negative view of Minnesota's Muslim community. Well, Ask some people how happy they think things are in fucking Minneapolis, the Twin Cities. So, of course, the guy's got to apologize. My homily on immigration contained words that were hurtful to Muslims. I'm sorry for this. I realize now. I love that. I realize now shit. I realize now that my comments were not fully reflective of the Catholic Church's teachings on Islam. That's a load of bullshit. If this guy was married... He'd have went home and began drinking from the stress. He would have treated his wife like shit, and their marriage would send, uh, you know, their marriage would shatter because of all the stress he's carrying around in his gut for having to apologize for something he really, truly believes about a situation that is more and more troubling for a lot of people, not just in Minnesota, but a lot of pockets across America. But since he's not married, the little boy he's molesting will now have an angry pedophile on his hands. Either way, we all lose. And then the top asshole in charge, Pope Francis, said uh, behind his gigantic compound within a, a gilded city around a country surrounded by walls and armed guards, the church looks with esteem to Muslims who worship God via prayer, fasting, and, and, and the giving of alms. I can't stand it. So, you know, he's emphasized the need for enhanced dialogue between Christians and Muslims. The dialogue is over, dude. Forget about dialogue. It's the biggest bullshit artist in the world, this one. The more he lies, the bigger his fucking hat gets. There are 150,000 Muslims in Minnesota. It's probably higher than that. About 40% of them are immigrants. It's not a good ratio. Minneapolis, St. Cloud, Rochester, they got the largest Somali Muslim population in America. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't feel comfortable mowing my lawn or pulling out the old snowblower in Minnesota and seeing my neighbor's wife in the big scary parachute outfit next to me. I just wouldn't. 
I'm telling you the truth. There's an image we have now of some of these people. I know the number is small in the great scheme of things. I know. But, you know, we we now see them as people who are making bombs in their garage. Yeah, we check to see how much fertilizer they buy at Home Depot. You really need uh, three 50-pound bags of this shit, Mohammed? You know, your lawn is 10 by 12. Nah, fuck it, I'm calling the cops. I'm sorry, call me ignorant. I don't care. Call me Ray. I don't, I just, I don't care. I'm getting to that age now where I just don't care. You live long enough and you know how your neighbors are. I've had Hispanic neighbors, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, who were always inviting us over for tacos and shit. Great food in the backyard. They got the salsa playing, 16 cousins. It's fun. The condiments are in plastic containers with tape on them that describe the special concoctions of sauces and shit. You ever see they bring out like a, a big, a big quart or a big gallon bottle of soda? It says Fanta, but it ain't Fanta. It's some shit they sprinkle on their barbecue. It's great. I got black neighbors. They were great too. Kids played together. The father always had a bunch of guys over to watch football games on Sunday. He called me over through the fence. Why does it start yakking it up in the kitchen? Fun times. I don't see myself going over to the Somali house next door for uh, bread and hummus. I don't see it. And you know what? Maybe it'll take 50 years before radical Muslims stop blowing shit up and they'll settle in and, you know, we'll all walk past the giant parachute lady or the guy with the unruly gray neck beard in the long smock and not feel slightly weird or on edge. It's going to take time, though. After the Vietnam War, it was like a little unnerving to see Asian people walk by because the only images we had were the nightly news where you saw a lot of Viet Cong fucking with those helmets on, knowing they're killing our boys. It's just the way things go. In the 80s, we were scared of Russians. Not that we passed a lot of Russians in the street. When I was a real young kid, black people were scary. You know, because Black Panthers and the big Afros and the, and the combs inside the... It's all part of what you see. Right now, we've seen too many goddamn images. And if you're a New Yorker with the Twin Tower, Twin Towers coming the fuck down, it sticks. You know? But it's not going to happen in my lifetime. All of us feeling fine together. Just, just, just not. Because I remember. I don't forget. That's the Sicilian in me. Anyhow, this poor priest has to make the apology when, you know, from where he's sitting, he sees a problem. But the public demands it. You know, and I understand a lot of Somali kids are going to grow up in America and become part of the fabric of this great country. But there's always someone tugging at these kids' shirts to come back to Somalia to immerse themselves in terrorism. The tactics, the tactics of terrorism so that they can go back to America and blow shit up. And that's what this priest sees and fuck anybody for silencing this guy. I've seen these videos. Maybe you have too. You got to be quick because they get deleted and moved on to other platforms that are hard to, uh, that are hard to get to. But they usually begin with a guy with, you know, sleepy eyes and the fucking desert scarf wrapped around his neck in a recruitment video. And these videos are intended to, to convince Somali kids living overseas, a lot of them in America, to return to their homeland to join al-Shabaab, which translates to the youth, which is an Islamic militia that, that the American government has listed as a terrorist organization since 2008, let's say. You can find these. There's not, not too hard to find. Put in al-Shabaab videos. If you know where, look for some. Some are in English. Others are in Somali or Arabic. 
They're posted on YouTube. They rack up a few thousand hits before somebody flags them for violating community guidelines. Then they get deleted. But they don't disappear. They, they, they end up getting transferred to uh, different formats. They're in chat rooms. They're downloaded onto God knows what, how many number of fucking laptops. There's no question that these videos are the work of somebody who knows how to make films. They're skilled. They got these transitions and great editing, shots of terrorists firing RPGs and fucking somersaulting with assault rifles. And they're all intercut with images of dead kids from the early days of the Iraq war. And because musical instruments are wonderfully forbidden in the the strict interpretation of Sharia law, which is what a lot of Muslims want here in America, the imagery they use is like, uh, they use catchy acapella singing. Or they use original rap songs that talk about the glory of Allah. Call on Allah and never retreat. Make our feet firm. Satan's plan is weak. Islam is our faith. Jihad is the peak. The best of our ends to be shaheed. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about, but I know it's bad news for us. The same message over and over. Come to Somalia. Join al-Shabaab. Get rid of all the unbelievers. Become a mujahideen, a warrior for Islam, or a martyr. That's the best. And if you're living in Minnesota and your next-door neighbor is Somali, then you've got every right to fear those images and what some kids grow up believing to be their cause in life. But AJ, you're crazy. You're paranoid. There you go again. You sound re- You sound anti You know what? I don't care what you call me. Anything you want, I'll take it on the chin, but I'll put my gut up against yours. It ain't like I don't have recent history on my side. You probably think the 50 million Jews who left their homelands in the 1930s, the late 30s, they were nuts. They were paranoid, those people. No, it turns out they just trusted their guts. They had a feeling that Hitler fella and those little blonde boys were up to no good. Anyhow, it's all in who you're making fun of, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. You you can't say a black man plays like a woman. You can't say Muslims want to take over America without everybody coming down on you and damn near losing your chance to make a living. Can you imagine if I was on Adam Carolla's show and I said, hey, Adam, you know, you got your son, Sonny. I got Rocco. I love coaching my son in football. I love having his friends over so we can all play tackle football on the lawn and just beat beat up on each other. Oh, it's great. That Damn, I'm, I'm so glad my son is straight. You know I'd be canceled before the show is over, right? You know that. Nothing wrong with me wanting my son to be straight. Nothing wrong with me wanting my son to have an easier path to travel in life. Nothing wrong if he said, Dad, I'm gay. Nothing wrong with that at all. I'd love him just as much. And I'd be the kind of father that don't give a shit what he wears, what he wants to do. If he's happy, he's happy and so am I. But I can certainly say I'm I'm glad my son is straight. Not because I don't want him to be gay, but it's an easier path in life when life is hard enough on its own. Fuck, if you're left-handed, it's a harder life. Try uh, working a stick shift, using a pair of scissors. You know what I'm saying. One time, Howard Stern said something so funny. We were talking about left-handed people and blah, blah, blah. And Howard says it's so hard for lefties to go through life. He said, he said, when when when, when women get the uh, the sonograms, if there was a way to tell that your, your child is left-handed, Howard said, I would ask for an abortion. 
of course, he was being crazy. But, you know, back then when Howard could say what he wanted and he was saying things that we buried down in our gut that we knew we shouldn't say but wanted to say, he was magnificent. That guy, okay, Howard's gone. He's doing his own thing. God bless him. But all of us who still harbor thoughts like that, just for laughs sometimes, we're all being killed off. We're all being stepped on. That's why you got to go to my other show, patreon.com backslash fame is a bitch. Okay, I'm not going to sell it more than that. A lot of you have been coming over. I'm very happy. But, you know, if you're a gay guy on Andy Cohen's show, watch what happens live. You can say you're happy your son is gay. Matter of fact, you can say you wished for your son to be gay. And the whole room applauds and everybody hails you as a great dad. Please tell me you saw this bullshit the other night. I don't know if it's a repeat because my wife tapes them all. I don't know if it happened three weeks ago, last night. I have no idea. By the TV. And by now I know I can't chirp up and say shit when I'm in front of the TV and she's watching it because she always thinks that I'm negative and the kids are going to hear and blah, 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 blah. I don't give a fuck. But I still, to avoid the fight, I walk away and scream it into my pillow instead alone. So I'm watching this fucking show. And uh, and I see this guy who's mixing drinks. He's the, he's the show's bartender that day. You know, he rotates bartenders. So this guy is queer. That's fine. He's, you know, he's gay. He says he's gay. And he says, oh, he said, you know, his son is 12. And Andy said something like, well, what did you do preparing him if, if, if he was gay? He said, well, I wrote my son, uh, not a book, but he wrote him a long uh, letter, uh, maybe a small pamphlet on how you know you're gay and what it might feel like. He was getting his kid ready at that age that he thinks maybe that's when he started understanding he was gay. 12 is like a big age. That's, you know, right about the time my cousin Gino and I were together in Long Island when I wrote my book, 74 and Sunny. You start to feel things. If you're not turned on by girls, there's an issue because puberty's right there. Anyhow, this guy says, I wrote him a book and I give him a book on his birthday and this pamphlet or whatever it is to say, here's how you know you're gay and it's okay to be gay. And the kid stops him and says, daddy, it's okay. I know how to be gay. I know I'm gay. And with that, you would have thought Andy and this guy saw Jesus come down off the cross. So fucking thrilled. Hands on the chest, exalted. All right, big fuck. Okay, your son's gay. But then he goes, oh, Andy, you know, he said, not only am I thrilled he's gay, but I wished and hoped he was gay. I want him to have a life like I've had. And I thought, What a fucking selfish bastard. Don't tell me your life's been all rainbows, even though the rainbow's your fucking flag. I know growing up as a gay guy, especially in the 70s and 80s, because this guy looked a little younger than me, it was a terrible time to be gay and try to grow up around a bunch of straight people. It's just getting good now. So this fucking guy can say that. I wished my son was gay. He's gay. Hallelujah. It's the greatest thing in the world. And everybody claps. If I said, I'm glad my son is straight, It's hate speech, and they're taking me off TV. And you know I'm right. So today was a bit of a rant on what the fuck I feel lately, but I also want to tell you I do have some things to say about the Super Bowl. I mentioned this on the Patreon show. I'm saying it here, too, because it is the Super Bowl, and whatever you want to feel, frankly, this is a family holiday. This is almost as big as Christmas. And I do believe pretty soon, the Monday after Super Bowl, will be a day off. I think businesses will shut down. Just like 
commercials are now promoting take off on the Monday after the Super Bowl. I can't believe we as a country, we as a country are allowing that. You know, we're already getting so fucking soft to begin with. We're trying to, people are trying to say, let's get transgenders on the front line. Let's have them parachute out with their fucking tits and their makeup and their, 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 their therapy sessions. They'll have them in the foxholes. This is ridiculous. We're beginning so soft and yet we're allowed to say this on TV. But of course, it's going to happen because that's the way this country's going. So the Super Bowl, I think through experience, San Francisco is going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. It ain't like I don't like the Chiefs. They're fascinating. They're fun as hell. I love Patrick Mahomes, you know, Tyreek Hill. They're fun, man. I root for them constantly. Jimmy the Guinea, my Italian quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo for the for the uh, 49ers. Listen, uh, I think he just comes from a school of diligence and determination and discipline from the Belichick, Bill Belichick school of the New England Patriots. He stood behind Tom Brady for a number of years. He's been down. He got hurt. He's back up again. Pat Mahomes, look, black guy, runs like a fucking rabbit, can throw the ball on the run. He's phenomenal. Reminds me of Randall Cunningham. Reminds me of Cam Newton. All those tremendously gifted black quarterbacks that we're not allowed to say are smart too. But I know this guy's smart. I know he is. He's phenomenal. It's not going to be his fault that they lose. Here's why. I noted, I've noticed that a number of the Kansas City Chiefs have gone out at night in South Beach quite a few times. And they're staying out till four in the morning and later. I know that because I have a lot of friends. Well, I have a handful of friends still in South Beach, a number of whom still go out to nightclubs. Some of them own nightclubs. And these guys are drinking up a storm. Now, it's several days before the Super Bowl when this happened, but they're young. They can come back from these sorts of nights. They don't have hangovers that last three days like I would. Still in all, the discipline aspect, I think, is lacking. You don't see the 49ers around town. Miami is a werewolf vampire town. It's a town that I can't spend more than one or two nights in or else it takes me down. It's why I told you the story of being there for one night and the night begins with me telling Dennis Rodman I'm going to chop him up and throw him in the ocean and it ends with him driving me to the airport with no shirt on, only his boxer shorts on. This is Miami. We stayed up all night. A lot of shit goes down. So I just think because of that, the 49ers beat the Chiefs. This happened to me and my New York Yankees back in whatever it was, 2000, 2001, when the Yankees lost to the Florida Marlins. I believe 2000. Um, I was no longer a columnist, obviously, but I was still going out of time. I went back to New York. I'm at Scores, the big strip club where all the athletes go. And I'm still popping pills at this point. And I'm with Joey, my nephew, and we're at Scores in the top room where all the girls are giving lap dances. And we were the kings of the joint. I got everything for free for years. And I got everything, girls, lap dances, meals, lobster, steak. It was fantastic. We always went for a meal. And Lonnie Hanover, the guy that was the PR guy for the joint, would say, AJ, uh, the meals are on us, the food and drinks on us, the lap dances are on you. Yuck, yuck, yuck. But it was great. How could you not go? One night I'm there and I see a couple of Yankees. I see Jason Giambi, the big slugger with a bunch of strippers around him. I said, let's go sit in these guys. Then I see David Wells, who I went earlier that year. I'd sat down with him on Carson Daly's show. Me, Dave Chappelle, David Wells, and Carson Daly. What a weird combination of people doing a show called What? what a guy wants. But on that show, I had Percocets and Chappelle saw them and he wanted one. So I gave him one. 
Same thing happened to David Wells. He was also on that show. I gave him. So the three of us were on Perks. It was a long shoot in Manhattan. Carson Daly was great. We had a good time. I can't find it on YouTube. I go to the scores joint and I see David Wells. I give him a perk because he remembers me. There's Graham Lloyd, who was a relief pitcher who loved to party. I got to give him, I got to, I got to peel off one for him. And now Giambi, who I never met, comes out from this stripper fucking fog and he's about to sit down and he goes, I got to go to the bathroom. I said, I'll join you. And he goes, what are you guys all doing? And they talk about this guy's, you know, he's giving out perks. And Jami's like, I'll fucking take one. Boom, he gets a perk. I follow him to the bathroom. Now, in the World Series that just concluded and the Yankees lost, there was one game, a very important game, a crucial game that allowed the Marlins to go on and beat us. Jason Jami took himself out of the lineup. He was our main slugger and he didn't want to play. Yes, there was an injury to some part of his foot or leg or hamstring or knee but he could still swing the bat like a beast. And there was a major part of the game where we needed a pinch hit. A home run would send us back to tie in the series, perhaps. It was a major moment. And Giambi didn't want to get off the bench. That always killed us Yankee fans. And I remember saying to Joey, something ain't right with this fucking game. Well, now we're at scores and there's Giambi. Here's my chance to ask him. I got a Yankee hat on. I have my fucking black marker in my pocket because there's always somebody at scores that could sign a hat. I said, hey, Jace, you mind signing a hat? No problem, brother. He signs it. Thanks for the Percocet. You got it. I said, let me ask you a question. Now we're both peeing. I said, why would you not bat in the fucking big game, bro? We needed you, man. I said, were you hurting that bad? He goes, bro, it ain't that. You know what it was? We were fucking partying like crazy in South Beach, bro. I didn't even sleep before that game. Fucking out of my mind. And I go, what were you doing? And I fucking tap my nose. And he taps his nose. He goes, exactly, bro. Fucking Jason Jombie telling me he was too high to play. Now, I wasn't a columnist. I would never have written that, but I certainly kept it tucked away in my chest. But this is the kind of thing that happens when you're in Miami and you're whooping it up and you're in your late 20s and fucking life's going to last forever. I'm telling you, the Niners are not that way. The Chiefs are not as disciplined. Watch me be completely wrong and they'll trounce the Niners. I just don't think it's going to happen. It's going to be a decently close game. I think the Niners win by four to nine points. All right. That Oh, one more thing before I go. There's been a lot of talk about the NBA uh, looking at possibly, you know, there's a big petition with two million names on it to get to get Kobe Bryant to, to, to use his image as the NBA logo. For many years, that logo has been Jerry West. They call him the logo because of that. It's that famous picture of him dribbling. Uh, it's you know, the logo. It's beautiful. There's now talk that, hey, if we get enough signatures, the NBA will put Kobe on that. It's going to take a lot. But here's what I do think will happen. I've heard murmurs of this. I've heard that at the All-Star game, there will be shorts or jerseys handed out with Kobe's image on the logo. What that means going forward is that means that the actual NBA will make him the logo moving forward. I think it's an extreme possibility after Jerry West passes away. That's what I feel. There's also word he might get a street named after him in Los Angeles. I think it's more than called for. I'd say he needs a lot more than just one street. But in his case, maybe it should be a dead end. No, I don't mean that. I just wanted to end on something clever. That was mean. The point is, of course, Kobe Bryant deserves that. Um, But I also think he may have deserved to be the logo. Um, I think it'll satisfy a lot of people. Uh, And I think that... From what I said yesterday about Vanessa Bryant, there's a lot of stuff coming in her immediate future with lawsuits and 
having a difficult time to move forward without her main man and without a dad and a husband around her. She hasn't lived the life in which she was in charge of anything, really. I mentioned yesterday, I believe on Patreon, this is the kind of thing where if you're the uh, the accounting firm that works for Kobe, the housekeepers, the personal uh, planner, whatever you are, a lot of these people are going to leave because they used to work for Kobe. It ain't going to be the same just working for Vanessa Bryant. I'm sorry, it's just the hard truth of the matter. The first to go are going to be housekeepers and people who've worked around the yard and the garden and the compounds. They're going to be going. Anyhow, sorry to end on such a damper, but listen, uh, I do think the logo will be Kobe eventually, and I do think we'll see it at the All-Star Game, in addition to tremendous, tremendous uh, tributes and all sorts of great things. That's it for today. That's it for the week. A very action-packed week. A lot of shit going on from Scientology to Kobe's death and always a sprinkling of the Royals and my family's crazy stories in between there. Thank you for the support. The Patreon's gotten bigger and bigger and stronger. More listeners, more subscribers. Keep it up. Don't stop the music. I'll talk to you Monday. I'm AJ Benza. That was Famous Bitch for January 31st, 2020. Bring on February. Thank you for listening. Fame is a Bitch is an AJ Benza Workhouse Connect production featuring the endless wisdom, insightful commentary, and sometimes fucked up perspective of AJ Benza. Executive producer, Mike Agavino. Technical producer, Brian Vasquez.